STEM has been around for a while, but I'll be honest, I don't actually know what STEM is. Is it a process, a product, a package? And who can do STEM? And as school leaders, how do we know if STEM is worth encouraging? And if it is, how do we support the teachers who wade into the STEM arena? I'm so excited to have today's guest on to help me, and I hope you, answer some of these questions. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Frederick Buskey. We are all on a leadership journey. Every day, we have a chance to grow. Every day, we have a chance to help others grow. My goal and the goal of this podcast is to help you grow into being a strategic leader, a leader who puts people before purpose, who solves problems instead of treating symptoms, and who understands the difference between progress and action. Through this podcast, my daily email, and virtual programs, I'm working to build a network of inspired and inspiring school leaders. Let's get started on today's adventure and this unique opportunity to learn to live and lead better. Jason McKenna is an experienced educator and author of What STEM Can Do for Your Classroom, Improving Student Problem-Solving, Collaboration, and Engagement. As the Vice President of Global Education Strategy for VEX Robotics, he specializes in curriculum development and global educational strategy, focusing on STEM integration and 21st century learning. His work involves engaging with educators and policymakers worldwide. Hello, Jason. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Hello to you also. Jason, we always like to begin with celebration. So what are you celebrating today besides the weather in Pittsburgh? Yeah, you know, the weather in Pittsburgh is quite the anomaly. It's sunny here in Pittsburgh today. So we're definitely celebrating that. Um, I'm celebrating the fact that I just had the opportunity to spend some time with uh, teachers at two conferences, uh, both the FETC conference and also uh, Project Lead the Ways Sparking Curiosity Conference. And every time I walk away from those, I am so impressed by what our teachers are doing every single day in our classroom, the challenges that they are meeting, also the challenges that they are exceeding, uh, you know, finding different ways to connect with students, finding different ways to engage students. So I like to think about that. Uh, you know, we all get busy and sometimes we all get frustrated, but I like to think about that. And to your point, I like to celebrate that. Well, I love that. And uh, that's inspiring. Thanks for sharing that. Appreciate I think it. I'm yep. gonna I'm gonna give you another chance to inspire us. And that is, is there a specific story that, that drives the work that you're doing today? Uh, I think a good story that kind of drives the work that I'm doing today is that as a classroom teacher, you know, I always struggled with group work. You know, I, when I did group work in my classroom, I would put my students in groups of three. Um, I would have one student that would do everything, one student that did nothing, and the other student that distracted the rest of the students in the classroom. And that's that pretty much sums up how Mr. McKenna did group work for about 15 years in the classroom. Uh, then I started doing STEM, uh, and specifically, I started using robotics as an organizer to do STEM. And I absolutely fell in love with it because teaching group work all of a sudden became very easy. All the students were engaged. Uh, they were all talking about uh, the correct things as opposed to what happened in the cafeteria that day. Uh, they were all looking for multiple solutions to the particular problem that I had. 
Uh, but again, the key thing was is, is that engagement. And the reason why I tell that story is, is for a couple of different reasons. Number one, I don't have a background in engineering or computer science, uh, but what I've learned in doing this job and literally traveling all over the world and, and talking to teachers on literally every continent is that you don't have to be a computer scientist to teach STEM, just like you don't have to be a published author to teach language arts. You don't have to be a professional artist uh, to teach art class you know, in elementary, middle school. So um, that was really unencumbering for me when I realized that. So that was number one. But then number two, again, something I had struggled for a long time in my classroom all of a sudden became easy and that energized me in year 15 of my teaching career. So I think what's important there is no matter where you are in your teaching journey, you can still find that thing. Uh, you can still do something new or you can try something that can really lead to uh, new gains in your teaching and really energize you in your classroom. And that's what really what I'm passionate about um, with, you know, both writing my book and the job that I have, you know, right now is helping teachers re-engage with the reasons why they got involved in teaching in the first place, whether that's in year one, year 15 or year 30 of their teaching career helping them find that. And, and, and if STEM is a way that they can do that, great. But if it's something else, that's okay also. I love that emphasis on energizing teachers. And I think it's such a great place to start for today because we're talking about, we're talking with school leaders are the main audience here. And I, that's one of the big roles that we have is serving teachers and capitalizing on their strengths and finding those ways to help them be successful. And I think that in turn, when we grow and we're successful, that energizes people. So this is a great place to start that conversation. Before we go any deeper though, can you define STEM? What What is STEM? Yeah, I, I like to define STEM by not defining it. Uh, so obviously STEM is science. Oh, uh, we're going to have one of those interviews yeah, today. Right? <laughs> obviously STEM is, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math. And it's it's integrating all those things together. But I think some of the, I think why some teachers and honestly some schools struggle with STEM so much is we want to commoditize STEM. We want to put STEM in a box. And the thing about STEM is STEM is a mirror of our worlds. That's actually how I kind of define it in my book. STEM is really a mirror of our world, and the world is messy. Um, if there weren't, if there were easy solutions to the, some of the complicated issues that we have in our world, if we think about things like climate change as an example of that, then we would have those things solved by now. But we don't, and the reason why we don't is because they're messy and they're complicated. However, we are making large strides every single day. Uh, in making, again, making strides to solve these particular problems. And we're, we're using STEM as, as a means to be able to do that. Uh, you know, just as an example of that, I read an article in the New York Times, it's about two weeks ago now. New York Times has an amazing uh, science section. So if you're an administrator in a school and you have a teacher that, you know, wants to get started with STEM and they're not quite sure how to do it, you don't have a lot of budget, just get a subscription to the New York Times and start talking about some of these things in your classroom. It's a quick and easy way to be able to do that. But in this article, it talked about how, you know, orcas are an endangered species. And one of the reasons why they're endangered is because they get sick. And then when they get sick, they oftentimes don't recover from that sickness. So scientists have been trying for a very long time to identify some of these diseases and sicknesses that orcas have so they can be able to intervene and help them when they do get sick. Well, I didn't know this until I read the article, but I don't, I can't remember the actual name, but the, it was called the blowhole at the top of the orca where they eject, you know, um, saliva and everything else like that. 
that contains the key to be able to figure out what's actually going. It's like a doctor taking a swab inside of your mouth, essentially. So now scientists are able to capture that using drones. So you fly a drone to where the orcas are, wait for them to come up. You fly the drone over the orca. The orca does its thing. You collect all the information, and then you take it back and you use computer models. So basically use computational biology, use very sophisticated computer models and algorithms to analyze that data to figure out what's going on with the orcas and essentially then to help them. That's a great example of STEM. That's taking all of those individual silos of STEM and combine them together to solve a real world problem. So that's your definition of STEM right there. And when I talk about it being a mirror of the world, what I mean by that is, is here we have this really messy and complicated problem and trying to find different ways and creative solutions to be able to solve that problem. I like to run to that complexity as opposed to away from it, because I think one of the issues that we have in school is when we try to commoditize them, like I was saying a minute ago, we try to put in the box, it loses that real world application. And that's when we lose our students. I haven't met a teacher or an administrator in the world that likes answering the question, when am I ever going to use this in my real life? <laughs> so when I talk about running towards the complexity, that that's what I mean by that. We don't have to necessarily be that complicated with our students, but we should be able to talk to our students about the things that are going on in our world uh, in a meaningful way. So what I think about when I listen to you is the, the difference between being and doing, and I hope I'm not getting abstract, but I know, right, we do PLCs, we we do STEM, we do all this stuff, and you can put the, the air quotes around it versus it's actually not what we do, it's how we do things. So am I kind of getting in the right direction? I think you're 100% getting in the right direction. So I, I think about that in two different ways. Uh, way number one, oftentimes education, we speak too much about outputs and not outcomes. So what's the actual outcome that I want to be able to achieve with my students? So when you talk about being as opposed to just doing, I think that's very important to think about that in terms of outcomes. I run into this all the time right now at my current job. I've, I've obviously left the classroom, but when you're creating a product, um, you know, you can create a widget. Okay. I can create this thing, but like, that's not the goal. The goal is for someone to buy that thing. Why does someone want to buy that thing? Because they want to achieve an outcome. That outcome could be I want to be able to, you know, communicate with my grandparents that live far away. So I'm going to buy an iPad so I can FaceTime with them, whatever that particular thing is. Right. But they want an outcome. So the better that you can understand that outcome, the better that you can understand the customer, the better product that you're going to have. That's what makes great product leaders today. Same thing applies to schools in that, you know, we are trying to achieve an outcome with our students. We're trying to achieve an outcome with our classrooms. So when you talk about being as opposed to just doing, you know, that that really resonates with me. Uh, the second part about that is when you think about um, what drives our students, right? What drives our students is curiosity. I think I think the first step to engagement is curiosity. So really leaning into that curiosity, I think that's really important. I think what I the mistake, so you asked me a, a very simple question earlier that I got abstract with, like, what is STEM? So, so a very simple way, if you think about what the, a great way to start STEM is don't be in a rush. Spend time examining the problem. Spend time talking about the problem. Spend time really creating that and cultivating a curious mind with your students because that is what actually drives 
the engagement is that curiosity. And, and to your point, again, that's an example of being as opposed to just doing. I love the emphasis on output versus outcomes mm-hmm. because it's it's not about the final product. It's about what we're trying to achieve by developing that final product, whether it's a homework assignment, a project or whatever. But it also seems then that that STEM is very process intensive too, right? So it's not just about what we develop, but it's it's the process of how we get there. And, and it's like, it sounds like curiosity is kind of that, that marble that starts down the track that then hits all the other pieces of the mousetrap. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And if you think about one of the big issues in STEM and, and anything right now in education is this idea of equity, right? So how do we make sure that we're raising the bar for all of our students and making sure that all of our students are achieving you know, and one of the big mistakes that we sometimes make in education is we forget how students, whether from a rural population or a, a lower socioeconomic population, like these students, when we speak about equity, what we're specifically talking about, uh, they're very connected to their community. Uh, and so when we speak about equity with these students, talking about what is in their community and how their community impacts them and how they can solve problems within their community um, that's a great place to start. And that's that curiosity that you're talking about a moment ago uh, is really kind of using that as a driving factor. And then once you establish that, then to your point, what is what is now the process in order to make that happen? And this is why I like to say that, you know, STEM is not, STEM is not really a subject like I've talked to you before about. It's not really a defined thing. It's an application. And that application is, is STEM pedagogy. Think we're gonna go. We've got two questions kind of that I want to go to next. And I'll sure. let you decide what the the right order of that. So one of them is what are the unique needs that teachers in STEM have that administrators should be aware of? But then the I think the adjoining question is as an assistant principal walking into a classroom, if it is a STEM classroom, what am I, what are the things that are actually going to tell me that I'm in a STEM classroom so that I'm looking for, looking at the correct things? Yeah, those, those are great questions. I'll take the second, the second question first. So um, I love the analogy that you just mentioned right there. Um, Something I like to say that, you know, I can walk in, one of my goals working in STEM is to, I can walk into any second grade classroom right now and I know they're teaching math and I know they're teaching language. I don't, no one has to tell me that. I know that from walking into the classroom and seeing that. So how do we achieve that same thing for STEM? How do we know that when I walk into this classroom, the students are doing some type of project-based learning? How do I know that the students are spending time with curiosity like we mentioned a moment ago how do we know that the students are finding multiple solutions to problems i think there's a couple different ways to do that uh number one does the does the layout of the room does it foster collaboration um there are students students have dedicated areas where they can tinker play and explore and can they do that in a collaborative way i think that's really important to be able to do that's not a space thing that's a priority thing, right? You you have the space in your classroom probably. It's just what you're actually prioritizing in your classroom by the physical layout of the classroom itself. So are there spaces dedicated to that? And are there things, objects, whatever you want to think of it of, where students 
do have the opportunity to easily go and get things that they can play with, that they can tinker with, and they can explore. That could obviously be electronic devices. It could be more of a craft type of thing, whether it's cardboard, paper, pencil, those types of things. It could be robots. It could be a lot of different things that students have an opportunity to get their hands on to be able to do. The last thing, and this ties into the first part of your question, is what is in the classroom that incentivizes failure? So if, if the one thing that I would do if I had to do it all over again in, in the classroom is I did a very poor job of incentivizing failure. The story I tell behind this is the um, right down the road for me here in my office in downtown Pittsburgh is Carnegie Mellon's Entertainment Technology Center. So it's a graduate school of CMU. It's a very unique school. They take they only take in about I think it's about 25 students each year. Half of them are from CMU's computer science. So people have a computer science degree. The other half come from their fine arts program. A lot of people don't realize CMU has a very, very, uh, great, very good fine arts program also. So they take them and they put them together and the, they put them in groups. And the very first project that they have that entire first semester, they have one assignment. And that assignment is to create a virtual world. That's what they have to do. At the end of that semester, they have an award ceremony. And the most prestigious award is the Penguin Award. And this award is given to the team, the group of students that failed the most spectacularly. Um, and what that means is the reason why it's the Penguin Award, because if you if you see penguins in the wild, they're all staying at the edge of whatever, and they're afraid to jump in the water because they're afraid to go back to the orcas again. Something's going to eat them. So someone jumps in first. And then everybody else jumps in, right? So that's why Randy Pausch, the, the author of the book, The Last Lecture, called it the Penguin Award. So if you if you take a tour of the Entertainment Technology Center, you see on the wall all these Penguin Awards. They are incentivizing fair. It's a big deal. You win an award for it, right? So if I walk into a classroom, if I'm an assistant principal, I walk into a classroom. What is that teacher's Penguin Award? What is that teacher doing to incentivize students? to take risks, to gamble. And if they fail at that particular risk, that's okay. Now that goes back to the first part of your question. What is the unique characteristic of a STEM teacher? That's what you're trying to foster right there is that attitude, that disposition, that willingness to be able to do that. You have to first model that as a teacher. So when I go, when I go to a new school that's implementing STEM, like I get questions like, well, what if, what if the students don't finish the scope and sequence? What if we only get this far? What if they don't know how to do this? Do we have enough, do we have enough uh laptops for the kids to code? And the thing I want to I want to scream is who cares? Nobody cares about those things. Those questions are all necessary, but they're insufficient. The big question that we need to be asking is what are we actually doing for our students? to incentivize them to take risks, to try things and to be creative. That's the outcome to our earlier conversation. That's what we want. So what are we doing to foster that? But teachers have to wrap their heads around that first and assistant principals have to be able to put teachers in a position where they can do that. They feel comfortable doing that. That was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Easy peasy, right? No problem. Yeah. Right? Well, uh, so I had two big things thoughts um out of that when you talked about teachers kind of raising the objections people that listen to this show routinely have heard me talk about the necessity of going to a people-driven school versus a purpose-driven school that we need to 
to shape our school around the people, the teachers doing the work. Mm -hmm. And the reason I give for that is because our purposes are, have, are easily warped and usurped. And I think what you just said is the perfect example of that, where we're, we're talking about a unique teaching practice, something that really opens doors for kids. And the first question is, but we can't cover the curriculum. And why is yeah. that important? That's important because testing. So we need to yeah. be people focused with our teachers, but also with our kids. Yeah, I, I have a, I have a, I have a chapter in my book on assessment, right? And um, I have a quote at the beginning of all of my chapters. And the quote at the beginning of the chapter I have on assessment is, is, is this, it's Mr. McKenna, is this going to be graded? And it's like attributed to hundreds of teachers, hundreds of students that I had in my classroom during my academic career. And I hated that question. I would get upset when a student would ask me that question. Now, Upon now, it's now there, there's two important things about this reflection. Number one, I didn't realize this until after I left the classroom because I actually had the time and space to think about this more deeply. So, as, as, a, as a school leader, we have to think about how we're giving teachers time and space to reflect upon their teaching practices. So, that's number one. But then, number two, what I realized is, is my students were just responding to the incentive structure that I created for them in my classroom. So, if you have teachers, asking you these types of questions as you're trying to do this, you know, achieve this outcome, you know, as a school leader, you have to ask yourself the question, are my teachers just responding to the incentives that I have created for them within the culture of my school? Which leads to the second point, which is if we want teachers if we want kids to take risks and we want to encourage kids to take risks, then as school leaders, we need to be encouraging our teachers to be able to take risks. And I think that's probably going to take us into how do we, what do, what do teachers in STEM need from us and how do we support them? Yeah. So, so the Penguin Award that we talked about for, for students, we've, we've got to be able to think about um, how we do those same types of things for our teachers. Uh, there's a great book about this that's, that's applied to business. Uh, Clayton Christopher wrote the book, uh, The Innovator's Dilemma. Um, and it's a fantastic book because it talks about why great companies fail. Um, I'm not a business person. I'm, I'm a former teacher. So I always thought that businesses failed because, you know, the, the CEO was, was stealing money or, or, or he or she was incompetent or those types of things. But a lot of good businesses fail because they get disrupted by more innovative companies. Um, the thing, the thing that you have to realize with that is that an innovative product does not have a market. That's what makes it innovative. So the example I give to explain this all the time is, is Uber, right? So Uber has another facility right down the road from me here for their autonomous vehicles. Um, I was told my entire life growing up, never getting a car with a stranger. That's Uber's entire business model, right? So if you think about that, if you're going to go for somebody for funding, you're going to say, hey, we're going to have people getting cars with strangers. Like, get out of here. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. You're not, no one's going to want to do that. It was such an innovative idea. It did not have a mark at the time. People didn't realize they wanted Just like people didn't realize they wanted a camera on their phone, you know, when the iPhone first came out and those types of things, right? So that's the innovator's dilemma is how do you create an incentive structure where it's not just about making 10% more in your bottom line from your business, but instead how you create an incentive structure to actually 
do this type of innovation. So in the book, Christopher talks about having like a, a division that's just on innovation, that just works on that. That's something that we could potentially model in our schools. So maybe you have a committee of teachers, you have three or four teachers in your building, or you have a representative from every grade level, and their job is to come up with, with silly, wild ideas that could potentially be implemented in the classroom. So you have a committee on innovation that really looks at these particular things and talks about them. Obviously, I think to your point about people over process, I think a great judge of, and this kind of relates to what we were talking about a moment ago, a great judge of your effectiveness as a principal is the quality of conversations that you are having with your teachers, right? I try to do this in my role right now. If, if all we're talking about is bug fixing and fixing stuff that's wrong with our products, and I'm doing a poor job as a leader with an organization, we need to be talking about how we're delivering value to our customers faster, more efficiently, and, and more often. So how are we delivering value to our students faster, more efficiently, and more often? How are we actually doing that? Not only to our students, because our students are not our only stakeholders. How about to our parents? Right. How about to folks like in the community that are important? How are we how are we communicating the wonderful things that are going on within the walls of our classroom to all these different stakeholders? And how are we delivering more, quote unquote, value to them? How are we defining to your point about a people driven culture? How are we defining value in our school? Right. Those types of conversations. So am I having those conversations with teachers to help foster that mindset that we were talking about? Or am I just talking about that, you know, Mrs. So-and-so called and complained again because little Johnny had detention? You know, you need to have those conversations. Yes, again, that's necessary but insufficient, but you also need to make sure that you have the time and space to have these much deeper conversations, like the conversation that we're having right now with your teachers. And I think really judging the quality of your conversations um, it is an important thing to be able to do. Last thing I'll say about this, um, kind of contrary, everything I've been I've been talking about right now is kind of like around conversations and and committee that's a little bit abstract. If you want to get specific about this, make a spreadsheet, put all of your teachers in a spreadsheet, and actually track how often you are talking about taking risk with your teachers. And go back and say, okay, I've only I've only talked about this three times in the last month. Is that enough? Is that a little bit? And then use something like a spreadsheet. If if, 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 if something is measured, then you're probably going to have a better opportunity to get better at it, right? So use something like a spreadsheet to track the last interactions that you've had with teachers. Maybe it's something as simple as emailing them an article or emailing them this podcast where we're talking about this, doing those types of things. What was your follow-up with that? I think putting that level of effort into how you're communicating with your teachers and what you're emphasizing to them is important for you as a school leader. I like, I love this idea, but I'm also going to ask for help, which I think is maybe part of the lesson embedded in this for school administrators is in something that unless you're really familiar with this stuff, you're not just going to snap into this, but I'm trying to think what do those conversations look like? What do those conversations sound like? Uh, I understand sharing materials and mm -hmm. and um, articles and things like that. And it's for anything that we're trying to do in schools to move the needle, like that's a fantastic strategy, right? Share rich material with your teachers and and let them react to it and and hear if that's something they want to jump on. What does that look like when I'm talking about taking risks 
I think I think something that that an administrator listening to this podcast can implement tomorrow, uh, for example, would be uh, first of all, emphasis. So when you have your your monthly faculty meetings or whenever you have whatever whatever rhythm you have those meetings at, say that this is something that you want to be able to emphasize and do. Uh, you know, talk about the why with the teachers. Number one, don't don't just say. Uh, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Talk about why this is important, right? Read The Innovator's Dilemma, you know, as an example. You, you, you can reference it in my book if you want to read that book, whatever. Um, take take the statistics from, you know, um, uh, World Skills. Where they talk about, you know, what, what employers are looking for in employees. And when they talk about things like creativity and taking risks and doing those types of things, collect that data and share with them and say, hey, we feel like it's important for students to be able to do these particular things. Understand that when you do that at first, your, your teachers are not going to be on board. They're going to say things like, but we are, we're being judged by these test scores, but we're being judged. So anticipate those things and think about how you want to actually be able to answer those particular questions. Talk about how you can do, how those things can be supplemental with one another as opposed to working against one another. So be willing to go in and have those conversations with, with, with your teachers to be able to do that. And then after you do that, identify those few teachers that you think are going to be able to do it well and ask them, hey, do you want to try something in your classroom? And then talk about that in your follow-up faculty meeting. So highlight that. Highlight, celebrate the wins. I think it's really important to be able to celebrate the wins, celebrate that, you know, uh, Mr. McKenna teaching sixth grade did this in his classroom. And it was a great example we talked about last month. You know, go through and do those things. And I think by doing that, you know, you'll really be able to have that impact. That's something you can implement tomorrow to be able to kind of foster this mindset that we're talking about. Yeah. And and I think also a way to do it is to flip the whole piece about teacher observation. So instead of me going into your STEM classroom and trying to say, am I, are you checking the STEM block boxes? And if you're not, then we're going to, I'm going to fix it. Yeah. Right? We need to flip that mindset to, Hey, you're the expert in here. What's going the way you want. What's not going the way you want. And then how, how can I, in and support you in that because when i do that what i'm saying is it's okay if it's not perfect and and i'm here to support you to bring it closer to to your vision and what you want as a teacher for your classroom i, I think that's actually a powerful way too to say you know we're not trying to fix you we're we're uh, my job is to help you grow in the direction that you think you need to grow in Hundred percent. What are what are the impediments that are in your way? We but we both agree that we want to be able to achieve this. We want, like you said, we want this outcome. So I think that's step one, right? Making sure that you're both on the same page about the outcome. Then after you do that, have those conversations. What's getting in your way? What are those impediments? It's my job to eliminate those impediments. That that's so. Because and I think that's a very powerful thing that you mentioned there a moment ago. Is that it's not my job to fix you. It's not my, this is why I hate, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of the, of the term mentoring, right. You know, from, from a leadership perspective, because I think, I think then that always says there's something wrong with the person that you're quote unquote mentoring, right. Instead, you have everything that you need. We hired you because you're capable, you're smart, you're intelligent, you're all these wonderful things. That's why we hired you. Okay. 
Now, once we agree that we, we, we're both on the same page of what the outcome is, we both know what we're trying to achieve. If you're not achieving it, then it must be because you have certain impediments in your way. So let me know what those things are and then let me help you get rid of them, right? Um, I don't think any teacher, I could be wrong about this. I don't think any teacher driving to school in the morning is saying to him or herself, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that my kids are miserable today, <laughs> right? I'm going to do everything I can to be a terrible teacher today. I don't think anybody's saying that, right? So as a result of that, it's like, okay, once we have this mindset, like you don't, to your point, I think you said it very well, like you don't need fixed. Instead, there are these impediments that are in your way. Let's go ahead and eliminate them. And by doing that, what you will find out, right? I, I would love to hear feedback from your audience about this. You, you, you can email me or email the podcast to, to, to let us know this. You will find out that a lot of those impediments are not really there. The teachers just think they're there, Right. They're not really there. The teachers just think that they're there. So, so if you want to, so here's a here's a wild, crazy idea to to, to leave your to leave your administrators with. If you want to do a PD session with your teachers, a really impactful PD session, you want to you want to kind of flip it on PD. Watch one of the Batman movies with your teachers, Christopher Nolan Batman movies. So I read a book on Christopher Nolan, right? The director of the of the three Batman movies, uh, the, the, those I mean, there's been a ton of Batman, but you know, those Dark Knight Rises, all that stuff, right? Christopher Nolan loves the idea of constraints in film. Okay, so in the Dark Knight, in, in the second, I think it's Dark Knight Rises, the one with the Joker, the second Batman movie, right? When does the Joker unleash his plan? It's when he's in jail. That's when he does it. That's when he, and that's on purpose. Because Christopher Nolan, as a as an artist and as someone that makes films, loves the idea of constraint. He looks at constraints entirely differently than everybody else. He sees it as a strength, not as a weakness. So in the third Batman movie, at the very beginning, when Bane like blows the plane up, does all that stuff, the last thing the guy says to me goes, "You meant to get caught, didn't you?" And then Bane replies, "Of course I did." That's the whole idea. So, so how do we take this mindset of what teachers normally think are constraints and show them that they're really not there or they're actually a strength, not a constraint? So, so there you go. Watch Batman for your next PD session. Now you can watch it all together, get the popcorn, and talk about, talk about that idea of constraints with your teachers and how do we view constraints in a more positive way. Or in a different way. I, I think that's something. You we were going to talk about Batman, did you? <laughs> yeah, no. Well, <laughs> I think this is something I'm going to be thinking about when we're done. Because um, I always say that the the way we create a better school is for principals, assistant principals to support and grow teachers. And to me, mm -hmm. that means two very specific things. Growing is about knowledge, skills, dispositions, and health. Support is about aligning the structures in the school. And it seems to me that to do STEM well requires the realignment of some structures. So I'm I'm going to be thinking about this idea that to support our STEM teachers, we need to remove impediments. But what I'm excited about reflecting on is the idea that maybe some of those impediments don't actually exist or what we perceive impediments to be, we can leverage into something more positive. So 
yeah, that's what you've left me thinking about. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. All right. I want to start to wrap this up, but uh, let's start with the question about you. Mm -hmm. What part of your own leadership are you still getting better at? Um, you know, I, I'm still getting better. You know, you, you mentioned, you know, principal serving teachers. I'm a big believer in servant leadership. Um, I'm still, I'm still working to get better at that. Um, you know, when you are, you know, to our earlier point that we've been talking about, you know, when I hire someone and, you know, and I tell them like, I'm, I am hiring you to replace me. Right. So what does that mean? I want to put you in a position where I'm I'm no longer needed here because you're so great at your job, right? Um, how do you actually, so it's one thing to, to communicate that when you hire someone, but how do you actually make sure that you're constantly putting people in a position to do that? And that requires a lot of communication. That requires a lot of collaboration because, you know, people change. You know, people change. So you have someone working for you for two, three, four, or five years. They're not the same person that you hired four years ago. So that they change, uh, their goals change, their objectives change, their outlook changes. All these things change with people. Um, so uh, how do you how do you get better at that? And how do you think about that? And I think then in addition to that, you know, um, you know, people are complex, right? They're not complicated. You know, so what I mean by that is like, you know, um, putting someone on Mars is a complicated problem, but there's a, there's a specific endpoint and there's specific things that you can do to in order to be able to achieve that and to test that. Whereas things are complex because, as I mentioned a moment ago, they're constantly changing. Right. So so the goals might change. The endpoint might change. The means may change. All these things change. So that just requires a lot of time or effort. So, so thinking about that and prioritizing that, um, that's something that I, I can always improve and get better at. And if listeners could take away just one thing from the day, if you want assistant principals, principals to take one thing away from this conversation, what would that be? I think it'd be the conversation that we have about how you view constraints. I think I think that's that is I think it's very easy to to sit around and talk about all the reasons why your 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 school is not successful, however you're defining success, right? I think that's very easy to do. Um, I think it's a very uh, easy trap to fall into. Um, so how how do we stop doing that, right? And instead, how do we how do we view um, how do we view constraints? Uh, as like you said very well a moment ago, how are we able to leverage them and actually allow them to become strengths? And how do we consistently display that attitude um, uh, throughout our, our school year? I'm really excited the way this interview has gone because I think it's one of those shows where people are going to have to really sit with this and reflect. I mean, some shows we do and there's like an instant, oh, you can go do this. Yeah. And that's great. But it's also good to have these shows where if I'm driving home or I'm driving in to work, I, I'm really going to have to think about this and and look at things. And I think that I think that's awesome. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and I think, you know, oftentimes we, you know, we, you know, I remember when I was writing my book and my my editor was constantly, you know, yelling at me. My, I had great editors, Solution Tree Press. But uh Jason, we have to give teachers, you know, specific action items they can follow up with at the end of the chapter. And it's just that, but, okay, but teachers can also think, right? Teachers can also reflect. So 
And this, like I talked about, STEM is complex, classrooms are complex because classrooms are ecosystems also. So uh, schools are ecosystems. So, you know, I think like you said, really providing that, 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 that uh, provocative conversations, provocative thoughts, and really allow them to, to really, you know, reflect upon them. Um, hopefully that's what we're able to do today because that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. As, as we close out, tell us just a little bit about your book and then how people can reach you if they want to learn more. Yeah. So uh, if you want to be able to reach me, uh, Jason at jmckenna.org, you can email me there. You can get my book, What STEM Can Do for Your Classroom, uh, Amazon. It's on all the regular, you know, bookseller sites. You can go to my, you can go to my website, jmckenna.org and check everything out there. You can sign up for my newsletter there also. You can also see all my blog posts and things like that on there. Uh, so you can see all of that. I wrote the book because I love helping teachers. You know, I mean, I've been in education my entire life. Uh, I see teachers that are, you know, they've been conditioned to fear failure. They don't want to try new things. Uh, you know, uh, they do not have a growth mindset. All these wonderful things we talk about with our students. Unfortunately, they have the exact, oftentimes our teachers fall into the exact opposite bucket, you know, those things. So that's what makes me, you know, that's what makes me passionate. Uh, it's what gets me out of bed every single morning. I have a great job uh, at Vex Robotics. I'm able to, you know, uh, help create tools and resources that are being used in over 150 countries. Uh, teachers and students, you know, over a million teachers and students touch our products every single day. So having that type of impact and being able to see it, uh, whether it's in places like Vietnam or Canada or here in the United States, it, it, it's it's a really wonderful thing to be able to do. And again, what I try to do with my book is take all those lessons from my personal teaching career, all the things that I've seen now um, that I've been involved in the STEM education business, and, and try to present them to teachers in a way that they can find approachable, also causes them to think and um, also gives them some uh, some practical things that they can do in their classroom tomorrow. Uh, but it also gives them some some more profound goals they can hopefully shoot for and accomplish. Awesome. Jason, thanks for coming on the show and sharing today. This has been a great conversation. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed the conversation. Hopefully we can do it again sometime. I really enjoyed this. And hopefully, again, your audience uh, will get something great out of it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. The last thing that I want to leave you with today is this whole idea of risk-taking. And if teachers are going to encourage students to take risks, then teachers need to feel like they can take risks as well. And I think the way that we encourage that as school leaders is to do what we can do to help teachers drive their own professional development. If a teacher expects me to come in and tell them what they need to work on and to fix them, that is not encouraging risk-taking behavior. But if I can go into a teacher and say, hey, I see what you're doing. What do you wish was going better? Tell me and then let's talk and I'll see what I can do to help you. I can be your partner in that. That signals to the teacher that it's okay to be imperfect. It's okay to still need to grow. And when I say, I trust you to lead the conversation and I'm here to help you, that carries with it that level of safety then that opens up the possibility of risk-taking. Okay, let's wrap this up. Leadership is a journey and thank you for choosing to walk some of this magical path with me. 
You can find links to all sorts of stuff in the show notes, including my website at frederickbuskey.com. I love hearing from you, so consider emailing me at frederick at frederickbuskey.com or connecting with me on LinkedIn. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Have a great rest of the week. Be present for others, and more importantly, take time to reflect and recover so that you can continue to live and lead better. Cheers. Thank you.